the valley was gone. We did as the Debian said, but we never get up to the stars and bring the breakfast up to bed. My name is Sean, and this is God's Own Scale, where size doesn't matter. Yep, I'm back. Uh, this is episode 51, where I talk with my arch-scale nemesis, Ken Riley. Yes, the man where size definitely does matter, and it is the bigger, the better. Actually, let's cut the crap. Ken's a good mate of mine, and I'm incredibly grateful that when I reached out to him, he agreed to be the guest on episode 51, my first episode back recording. You may notice episode 50 has disappeared. This is deliberate. It was only a few minutes long and I recorded it uh, not long into a rather scary period of ill health, which I'm glad to say is now over and consequently I am recording again, for better or worse. Things will be a little bit different for this iteration of the podcast. First of all, there's no Patreon. I may return to this at a later date, but for now it doesn't fit with where I want the podcast to be. I did find it somewhat restraining, to be honest, and that I felt obliged to record and to maintain output when towards the end of last year I certainly wasn't in a fit state to do so. So, no Patreon allows me to retain what I like to call full artistic control and direction. Yes, I'll still be talking about 6mm, but once again I'll be broadening out to wider elements of the hobby. And I know I've said this before with mixed reaction, but I have to do what fits with me at the moment. And if you want to come along for the journey, then great. I hope there's going to be something of interest for you and indeed for everybody listening. I hadn't logged into my Podbean account for some time. Uh, in fact, from the last time I recorded, so six over six months ago. And I was astonished to find there has been a steady ticking over of downloads. Getting right back to episode one where I said in a churchyard with the birds singing under a blue sky, waxing lyrical about the Battle of Bloor Heath, and possibly doing that in 6mm. Well, that hasn't happened. Uh, But thanks to those of you who have continued to listen and download, or else only just discovered the podcast, uh, please stick around. Uh, You might enjoy what's coming up. For now, there'll be the vaguest of schedules. I previously aimed for the 14th and 28th of the month, but I do have doubts I'll be able to keep to this. To a certain extent, I am still in recovery uh, from my illness, so energy levels aren't quite where they need to be yet. Plus, work and family life continue to take priority and 95% of my time. Having said that, this episode will be quickly followed by episode 52, where I talk to Lawrence Baldwin and Richard Tyndall from the Newark Irregulars, and they will be better known as the joint organisers of Partizan, which as I speak on the 10th of May is only 11 days away, so expect that to drop uh, in a few days' time, probably the 14th or 15th, and who knows, you might want to listen to the episode as you're driving to uh, that crown jewel of shows in the UK. I do have a guest lined up from across the pond following... Uh, the Partisan episode, which will be out before the end of the month, round about the 28th or 29th. Again, there's a slight time pressure on that one, which is good. Uh, and following that, another half dozen or so guests are lined up for forthcoming op- episodes. So plenty to keep me going and for you to look forward to, hopefully. My intention is to speak to both content producers, manufacturers, gamers about their hobby 
I do really like giving a voice to people who may not have been heard from before. We've all got our opinions about the hobby, and I intend to give a platform to some of those people who've not had the chance to voice it before. As well as that, there will be the occasional vanity episode, as I like to call them, where I'll maybe invite on historians or authors or other people of interest that I hope will have a tangential uh, relationship to wargaming, uh, that I hope will entertain wargamers for perhaps or from perhaps a slightly different angle. Okay, enough of the preamble. You are not here to listen to me waffling on. You're here to listen to Ken, uh, my guest for episode 51 of the God's Own Scale podcast. So let's talk about... That was brilliant. Right, take two. Hello. I've got a guest with me who needs no introduction, so I'm not going to give him one. Ken Riley, how are you? I'm, I'm very well, mate. Uh, I'm very well after that initial start. We've done very well there to get going. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, a joke the second time round isn't often quite as good as it was the first time round, and sometimes it's not even good the first time round. So, the second time round, it was really funny because you... The first time. <laughs> you can tell I've been away from the microphone for a little while. Um, Ken, um, so this has been a long time in the making. Um, I stopped recording, I think it was back in October, and we did have a chat because I planned to have you on. Always had way back. I penciled in episode 51 to speak to Ken Riley, uh, the god of the big battle. And then I stopped recording at episode 50. So that plan fell on its arse. But when I thought to myself, I'm going to get behind the microphone and just see if I still got what it takes. A bit like Sam Allardyce, isn't it? See if he's still got what it takes. You're not getting two, you're not getting two hundred and fifty grand for four games, and then two and a half million if you stay up, though, are you? I'm also not saying I'm better than Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp combined. And for our continental cousins, I do apologise because that's a, a talk about English football. Yeah, well, what do they what, <clears throat> what do they know about podcasting? Exactly, exactly. Pep Guardiola, when has he done a war games podcast? Never, never. Not that I'm aware of, mate. And if he has, he's rubbish. Actually, next guest. Next guest. We were talking about guests earlier. But when I thought, I'll just see if I've still got what it takes. There was only one person on my list that I could think of that I wanted to speak to. He wasn't available, so... Um, hey! I, I, <laughs> still got it. Still got I'd have, it. I'd have, brought, I'd have brought my drum kit if it had you. <laughs> Yeah. So no, uh, you were absolutely the number one top of the list. I've shown you the list. Yes, I've seen the list, and you were top of, or are top of the list. Mm-hmm. So thanks very much for giving up uh, some of your time on this uh, nice warm Sunday afternoon, mate. Um, so. I suppose the first question is, how are you? Oh, I am, as we say in the, in the job, living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and we know what that means, don't we? Yeah, it says I'm living the dream. Yeah, yeah. It's perhaps not the Oxford English Dictionary definition. 
yeah. of what living the dream would be. Well, well, as 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 a few people who know who listen to my show will know that I turned fifty five in February, and uh, that gives me the opportunity to retire at any time I want. Uh, so uh, I'm 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 in quite a good mood. So I'm, I'm cruising along nicely um, in work life because if anyone pisses me off, I can just throw my ID card at them and go, you know what? Bye. It's a it's a it's a wonderful ace to have up your sleeve, isn't it? It is. It is. I'm not quite there yet, mate. So I'm still walking on eggshells, watching my p's and q's, and tr- and I have. What is known in the trade as pension tension, um, because one small slip could end up being very costly. Um, however, we aren't here to talk about nonsense no, such as no, real life. No. We're here to talk about uh, toy soldiers. Um, and listen, it is very nice uh, to be back and talking and have the enthusiasm and the desire to actually get back and and talk. Um, I think we probably last spoke on a Bruise in the Binyard. Yes, uh, Christmas edition and the uh, the award ceremony, the uh, now right, inf- yes. infamous golden puddings. <laughs> I was sort of in and out of that, though, wasn't I? I um, my connection, yeah, wasn't great, it, and it was quite hilarious. One of the really really funny bits about that was um, you, you'd you'd actually put something down about the Mexican Revolution. <laughs> um, and we, we we'd all arranged it, and we got Sean's Mexican Revolution corner, and just started speaking. It cut out. Um, so uh, for any fans of uh, any fans of Peanuts, uh, the, the cartoon. If you know, remember the one where Charlie Brown is running up and um, carries it, Sally. I can't remember the name of the girl who holds the ball, and every time, every year for like fifty years, Charlie Brown goes to kick the ball, and she pulls it away. So. Yes. Uh, yeah, Lucy, kind of like, isn't it? Yeah. Lucy, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. kind of like that on our show at the moment. But there we go. Because I always call I always call Bruce in the Binyard our show. Yeah. it's me, you, and Alex. It wouldn't be the same without us. Oh well, it's very kind. It's uh, it's always a great pleasure to do it. Um, they they do say comedy is in the timing, and I think that was, although unintended, absolutely it was perfect. Spot on absolutely perfect. Uh, so anyway, uh, hobby wargaming, uh, state of the hobby, uh, aging hobby, grain hobby, uh, people being priced out of the hobby. Big battles are impossible with big figures. Um, I think those are the sort of general topics that we thought we might just kick around <laughs> between us. But uh, obviously. Listeners will be far more up to date with uh, what's going on in your hobby life at the moment because they will be listening to the um, the Caesar winning podcast. <laughs> yeah, get that in. I had to think of salads then to get the word out. Yeah. Um, Caesar, no Caesar winning podcast. Yes, very very richly deserved. Um, but. You've been really busy, haven't you, with your own hobby, uh, and you're really good at updating people with that. So just just tell us where you are at the moment. I know there's at least two large projects that you've got on the go. Oh God, um, yeah, it's um, I've, I've kind of got three things on the go, big wise at the moment. So there's the Battle of Mentana project, the 28 mil uh, Resorgimento. 
Um, which, it's easy for you to say. To, yeah, I've had to practice that on a number of occasions. Um, usually, usually accompanied by wine to get it right. Um, so that I'm trying to get that ready for a display game in a fiasco in October, and uh, the Perrys have finally brought out the French uh, Franco-Prussian War figures that I need. So I'll pick those up at Salute, and they're ready to go. Uh, so that as a figure project is about three quarters done, but I've not started the terrain. Um, then I've kind of gone a little bit mad, uh, with some, uh, one 700 scale, uh, World War II ships, which, uh, are about what, 16, 17 inches long, the, uh, the battleships. We know that, don't we? Cause, uh, you, you got your tape measure out off air. <laughs> yeah. We'll just have a look off air. I've been measuring yeah. things off air. Um, which is kind of, and that, that I've um, decided I'm going to do a Narvik display game with that. So looking forward to doing that. And uh, then I've got Italian War stuff on the go as well, all over the place. Still. Plus, yeah. Plus some, oh, 10 mil, seven years war as well. No, 10 years war, Malbiorian. No, in your typical style. Uh, you're not doing that with small 12 figure units, are you? Um, I've gone for 40 figure units, four ten. Uh, figure units. I've been um, one of the guys I had on my podcast, Jed Elliott, who used to run the War Games Holiday Centre, is doing Napoleonics in 10 mil uh, using uh, Pendragon figures, the really lovely stuff that Leon does. And he is, um, as, as I like to see big games in small scales, he's using the same footprint as a 28 mil regiment, but filling the base with. 10 mil figures. I mean, he's some of his cavalry squadrons have got like a hundred and odd figures in a cavalry squadron. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of going to leaning towards that and trying to have bigger regiments and just make it look nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would have expected that you'd completed the Italian wars, but me knowing nothing about the Italian wars other than Italians are involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit like a drug in that you, you start on it and you think oh, i'll finish now and then something else comes out and you realize you haven't got so i i haven't got any spanish or imperialist troops um and there's an there's uh, an anniversary of uh, pavia coming up and a year in just over 18 months time uh, so um i need some spanish for that so i've started to pick up spanish to uh, go with the french and italians that i've already got so there's always a there's always something to do with Italian wars. You can never have enough gendarmes. It's as simple as that. There's something, there's something about late medieval, early Renaissance men in... Tights. Yeah. No, plate armour. No, plate armour. Yeah. Um, on, on big horses charging with lances and stuff. But just... those lance necks, they wear tights, don't they? They do, but I don't paint lance necks, you see, because the they're a pain in the ass. They're all different. I get other idiots to paint lamp uh, and, okay. and, and I go, oh, you've done a really good job. Now, you've said Pavia there. That That is possibly the only um, Italian Wars battle that I, I can remember. And, not, and that's only because there was an article in a War Games Illustrated probably 25 years ago. Um, and it, it really interested me. Was there a, was there a park or a, was it Mirabello Park or something? Similar? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like the uh, the Waterloo of the Italian Wars, if you like. It's the the if anyone's going to know a battle from the Italian Wars, it's going to be Pavia, and um, it kind of reminds me of a 
a bit like a Sunday league football game, really. They they kind of all go into this big park and then they just have a massive scrap. Um, and you know the winner buys the first round at the at the bar on the way out. Um, so yeah, it's uh, this it depends how far you extend the battlefield because there's the main fight that goes on around the park, um, and then you've got Pavia itself. And this kind of uh, entrenchments and, and a bit of fighting going on on the left and the right of the town. So if you, you you know if you really go big with it, you can get absolutely everything in. So um, that's what I, there's a couple of other people doing it as well that I'm aware of. Martin Kelly, who was uh, who was on my show just after Christmas in America, he's got some big collections and he's going to look at doing it. And um, Chris Cornwell and um, Mark Freeth, uh, War Games Holiday Centre Fame, are looking at putting something on as well, and they've got you know great, an amazing collection as well. So, a bit of competition. We'll see how we get on. Well, I'm I'm sure you'll uh, I'm, you're in the conversation. I think yeah, uh, yeah. amongst uh, people who can put on a damn good Italian Wars game because um, you put it on at uh, Crackcon, the second Crackcon was it? Yes, it was the second one. Second yeah. one. Um, I didn't make the third one, but uh, it's nothing if not colourful, isn't it? Flags are plenty. A riot of colour. Yeah. Big sticks. It would, yeah. It would be lovely to go back in time. You know, if you had like um, a time machine and to go back and see whether it looked like that. Um, yes, because yeah. um, a lot of the time you find that there'll be a, a painting done of a particular scene and a number of people will have been a patron for that painting. So the one who pays the most money is going to have the biggest flag at the front yes, yeah, rather, yeah. rather than the one who did all the fighting. He probably you know, got holes in his shoes or whatever, but was the bravest and the best fighter. Um, and his flag's right at the back and tiny so it would be interesting to see where whether um it was a a really good advertising um hoarding for all the families involved or whether it did actually look like that it's an interesting take on the old adage that history is written by the victors isn't it but in that case it's history is written by the rich who can uh, bolster their own participation and i think there's something similar happened to that with I may be wrong in this, but what's the um, huge Waterloo display? The Cyborn, was it, or Cyborn? Yeah, uh, Cyborn, yeah. yeah. Uh, that some of the generals there ensured that their part in the battle or that moment in time that's captured in the Cyborn model was sort of more, form, far more prominent than perhaps it ought to have been to tell the proper story of the Battle of Waterloo. But, um, yeah, the Italian Wars is, is, is something... That is an absolute black hole in my <laughs> in my knowledge base. However, however, I'm aware that you're speaking to Peter Berry relatively yeah. soon. Yeah. On the Yorkshire Gamer, and he's about to start a six mil Italian Wars range. Oh, excellent! Right. And there's also discussion amongst my other favourite figure manufacturer, Peter Pig, that Italian Wars may return to their range. They did some Italian Wars many, many years ago and mm. sold the range off. But um, I think Martin's got a hankering to, to return and clearly it wouldn't be on the same scale that, that you do it and, and Mark does and uh, other people. But um, generally that will necessitate me to go out and buy an Osprey book 
in the first instance and then try and find some English language general history of, of the wars because I'm, I'm really, I've no idea where you start. We haven't talked about this and I, I'm, I've kept meant meaning to message you or say off air, <laughs> don't forget God's own scale virtual library. <laughs> Don't worry, I've got. I've, I thought you might, so I've got a couple of books. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to edit this bit out because. Oh, no, don't worry. It's, we're free and easy now. I edit. Yeah. I edit bits out to make you look good, but if you want to make me look stupid, <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can make myself look stupid very, very easily. But uh, yeah, so Italian. Yeah, so Italian wars does fascinate me just because of that riot of colour. It's medieval warfare, and, and those ships that you've been doing are, are gorgeous. Now the other thing, the Ristorgimento, which Ristorgimento. Risorgimento makes it sound like a dish at an Italian restaurant mm. to me. Uh, but is it a kind of an Italian civil war? Is that right? Yeah. If you like to think, I like to think of it as the biscuit wars. And that way, um, because you've got Garibaldi. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Garibaldi, oh, Garibaldi. Yeah. Garibaldi fights against the Bourbons. <laughs> so now, if, if you're going to give me a choice, it's going to be the Bourbon. It's going to be the Bourbons every time. Um, and then, then my lads, uh, the papal forces, they're kind of in the middle somewhere, trying not to get crushed by everyone else. Uh, um, are, they, uh, are they a rich tea or a hobnob? The papal states? Hmm. Mm. Well, I'm sure, I, they, I would imagine that they'd be more of a wafer-thin type um, body of Christ biscuit, if you like. Uh-huh. That'd be a, that'd be a range of biscuits to start, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't mm. it? I'd, I'd get that trademark quick. Quick. Yes. So is is that an era that's just a gap in your collection, or is it something that you've always had an interest in? Uh, no, it's well. I'm always I'm interested in Italian history and um, the history of the Papal States, just purely from visits on holidays where I've gone to museums and got oh wow this is really exciting and really interesting um and as you can probably guess from my name my family are from Ireland many many generations ago so I've got a little bit of interest in Irish history and um it all came together really I was talking to um VK uh, von Kettering Fraser on my podcast a long time ago um and he's and we were talking about units that we'd love to paint but we've got absolutely no reason to have them or paint them other than just purely to have them um and we were talking about the polish winged hussars and you know everyone wants a unit of them but what are you going to do with it uh, at the end of the day um and, and my unit was a unit called saint patrick's battalion which is um a unit of Irish volunteers who went to fight for the Papal States in 1860. And um, I just, I've just done a podcast on them with Nick Schofield um, about the, their history. And uh, they that had, one, by the way, mate. Was yeah, great, it was, so. it was, a, it was a different one to have a, an historian on and just talk, you know, about the history of something. So I quite, I quite, I really enjoyed doing that myself as well. It was a, a change up. And um, the uniform of that regiment was just mad. It was green. It was like bottle green with big roughed up shoulders with yellow lacing and completely, you know, nothing like you've ever seen before. Maybe the Nassau uh, regiment in the Napoleonic Wars might be 
the closest I can think of in in you know in throughout history. Um, and then in, in typical wargamer style, um, I'd got this unit of Irish St Patrick's Battalion. Oh well, I'll I'll do a few more. What can I do? And I started to read and research in it. And when you're in your you know when you're in your mid fifties, you very rarely come across a period of history that you've never heard well i'd heard of it but i'd you know and i'd heard of garibaldi and i had a bit of an idea about garibaldi but to find something new and if you love history to find something new it's like coming across that you know picture of the egyptians when you're 12 or something like that and you're going oh wow this is brilliant what did they do how did they do this all they had loads of different gods all they built pyramids you know that excitement and almost kind of youthful exuberance for something new um and that's where it started and i um i looked around for a suitable game maybe to do um i always look when i do a new project i look um for an army list or an order of battle and build my units around that order of battle um so i was looking for something not massive mentana's probably Ooh, 15,000, both sides included. Uh, so it's not a big battle at all. Um, but then, of course, I've decided to do it at about 1 to 12 figure-ish. If it's a small battle, lower your, lower your figure ratio so you get bigger, bigger units. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and it's still something that I'm enjoying reading about and um, researching now there's only you know for me there's only so many times i can read waterloo the fresh perspective waterloo a new vision waterloo i need some money so i've written this book um you know there's only so many times you can go through that process of studying the same battle uh, for me anyway uh, so to find something new it's been an absolute joy well it it's um it really tickles that curiosity aspect, doesn't it? Because um, when you do get to our age, then there's not a lot new out there, is there? We've, we, even if you don't game it, um, you've, you've likely got some knowledge of it and are aware of it and have seen other people do it. But I know that with uh, the collection that you've started, how long have you been going? About 12 months or... About just about two years, I think I, I started it. Oh no, tell a lie, it's about 18 months because I started it for the previous Analog Hobbies Winter Paint Challenge, and I've just done another one which has just finished. And uh, I won the uh, challenge's choice. Well, uh, if if you give me pre warning, I would have congratulated, but, but well done. <laughs> uh, and it was quite funny because I won a copy of uh, Cyber Miller's To the Strongest. Uh, and his um, and his uh, one of his uh, scenario books as well. Um, so he begrudgingly handed that over to me at salute. Bless him. Bloody hell, you've won, you've won it. Bloody hell, bloody hell. Well, he's possibly one of the few people that can rival you uh, in the big battle stakes. Looking at that game that he put on at salute, it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, it was just a spectacle to be seen and whatever your thoughts are on the bigger battle it was a just a spectacle to look at it was it, one of the pinnacles of the hobby it was just amazing to yeah see. Amazing. Okay, we'll talk about salute a bit more shortly but mm. um so you've been going about 18 months then but yeah there's not a lot of off-the-shelf figures 
or ranges for no. the Risorgimento, are there? You've 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 dipped into lots of different areas and um, manufacturers and and ranges to source your figures, haven't you? Yeah, and I think that has been part of the joy uh, of the hobby of of this this particular project, and it kind of took me back to. Um, a younger Ken when I was, you know, starting in the project in in the hobby. Because nowadays, and it is, I'm not saying it's negative. Nowadays, it's a, a positive is that there's so much available that it's so easy to get hold of stuff that you can just type type three or four things into the internet, press a button, and two days later, an army appears. Um, but I kind of missed that searching through catalogs and trying to find stuff that fitted and 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 this is what i've done with this project because um there's the gringo 40 range um and a good old jed cronin he does um some lovely figures for the garibaldi he does uh some piedmontese he does some um papal stuff as well um but not everything that i needed um and there's a company in italy uh, called shaco 64 um they do a nice range as well um but they're so hard to get hold of. Just A, because there's all the problems with import-export uh, at the moment. And on top of that, you've got an Italian postal system that has always been, uh, even before Brexit, was just a random guesser. You know, you put a parcel in, in a, in a post box with a, an address on, and the chances of it reaching that address... We're about one in fifteen, anyway. So it's uh, it's uh, so I, I didn't use much of those, but I've used stuff from um, the Perrys. Uh, the Franco-Prussian range for the French has been really, really useful because it's uh, the battle I'm doing is eighteen sixty-seven, which is only three years before uh, the FPW. Um, and then I've um, put together some stuff from uh, the Triple Alliance figures that Perry's do, the Argentinians, Paraguays and stuff like that. Some of that's fitted in really nicely. And then I've also used some American Civil War um, figures um, with head swaps and stuff like that just to get the right unit. So um, it's been one of those where there's been a real pleasure in the journey of getting all the figures together. Um, it's not just been a, right, I need a French line battalion. I buy this and, it, and then paint it. It's been a, you know, maybe few hours on the internet trying to research and find the right figures to fit what i want so yeah i really enjoy i really enjoy putting it together it's an interesting one because i, I think I, I look back on my hobby journey and i think too often throughout my the various projects that i've started um i'm too focused on the end goal and i don't necessarily enjoy as much as i should the journey that gets there so um i i i am no good at, at doing what you do which is source figures from various manufacturers and 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 i need off the shelf solutions <laughs> so uh i know we've talked about it two or three times on bruising the vineyard and, and had a little joke about it but the mexican revolution um uh, has, has been a big one for me and, and fortunately peter pig do a really comprehensive range of, of figures for the Mexican Revolution, which isn't the most widely wargamed period in history. Um, but similar to what you were saying about piquing your curiosity about the Risorgimento, 
the the Mexican Revolution is just full of interesting episodes, characters, battles, um, development in in the technology of warfare, the political side, the socio-economic side of of what was going on in Mexico at the time. Uh, It went on for 10 years. Um, A lot, you know, famous names like... (laughs) I've led myself up an alley there Uh, Emilio Zapata and Pancho Villa there you go not Emilio Estevez Um, although he may be one of my generals in in my army he's got to be be. Um, so I I really feel that same sort of desire to find something a little bit new a little bit off-piste uh, I don't mind doing the searching for the literature on it, and, and English language literature around the Mexican Revolution is is pretty hard to get hold of. Uh, there's not an awful lot out there, uh, so I enjoy that part. But I am for far more. I need to go and buy a pack of figures off the shelf that is dedicated to being, um, you know, rebels or. Um, uh, federal troops uh, from from the war, but I really take my hat off to you because, again, similar to your Italian war stuff, the the spectacle of those units that you're doing, um, and you're doing them on big bases, aren't you as well? Um, so each one is almost a diorama in itself. Um, it's not you know you're not just cramming as many figures onto a bit of cardboard as you kind of throwing a bit of flock down onto it there's each base is almost a diorama in itself so i imagine is it fiasco did you say you're looking to put that on yeah um hopefully um i'm certainly have the figures done um it's whether i can get the terrain done in time because i'm i'm very much a terrain making um agnostic i I really uh uh, that's the imply i would uh um i've so i've bought i've bought one of them flocker things you know the electrostatic plot things i've got one of them um and i've been watching this lad called geek, geek gaming studios geek gaming villain oh, on youtube he is fantastic luke. luke that's the name that's the lad's name and um so i'm going to follow his method for building terrain so i've got all the kit ready to go um and we'll give it a crack and see what it looks like if it if it looks like um you know a melted piece of chocolate left out in the rain, then um, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I didn't know before I did the ships, I hadn't really built any models other than, you know, five or six piece tank kits for wargaming since I was a teenager. So um, I did all right with that. So I'm, I'm think I might do all right with the train. Let's see how we get on. So I take it you've got about 20 bags of different colored flock and stones and grit and, oh. and taking it over the, uh, yeah, I've got a, I buy my wife, these really expensive bags and boots uh, from a company called Fairfax and Favour uh, for her birthday and Christmas. And little should, does she know that I only do it because the boxes are ace and, and they have really big bags as well. Um, and I put all the projects in those boxes and bags and she gets boot, She gets these boot things out of I don't bother them. I was boots are ten a penny, aren't they? Exactly. So, uh, so I'm looking across now at a box full of all my... Um, 
flocks and scatters and glues and all that sort of stuff. And I'm looking forward to doing it, actually. It'll be uh, something new for me. I've become quite a um, hoarder of various flocks and grasses and grit and stuff. I just love it. I, I, Any time I see a new new colour or uh, style, and Luke, Luke does um, something called base ready. Are you aware of that? Yeah, I got some of his Mediterranean base ready, I think it is. Um, but Because uh, I've looked at the pictures of mentana as it is now and it's very similar to the soil type at mentana so i'm going to use a lot of that for the uh, for the display game yeah that is the exact same um uh product that i'm using for my mexico revolution game so ah, we've got so we don't have a lot in common in the wargaming world but we're yeah. using the same product there they're probably about on the same latitude aren't they yeah yeah, yeah roughly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, nice i'll look uh, I might try and get up to Fiasco. It's a long time since I've been there. Um, God, it must be ten plus years since I've been up. But I, I've, I did used to enjoy. It used to be one of the regular haunts for us to travel up. Certainly when it moved to um, the uh, Royal Armouries. I can't remember what the venue was before that, but we did travel to a different venue. Yeah, we have. We've been at the armories for a long, long time uh, in in a couple of three locations within the armories, um, and before that we were we we had a few shows at Leeds University, um, but that was always a, it was always a pain getting the rooms that we wanted and what have you. Although it's a great venue, it, it's a perfect venue, but um, they insist on having these bloody students coming in and swimming and stuff while you're having the show um and then before that we were you know at local leisure centers and stuff like that um which uh armley leisure center was where we were for a long long time yeah that might have been the one i remember going to most um because i think it was the first time i'd seen dave marshall all um, right yeah this wild west town that he built yeah. and took around the shows which was just uh, it. It was at the the height of Wild West fever back in the the first time round. Mid yeah, mid mid late nineties, I guess. You know when Guernsey Foundry and War Games Foundry were releasing their figures and the rules of no name and all that stuff. And and Dave built a really fantastic cowboy town that uh, I don't think I've ever seen bettered, to be honest. Um. But yeah, so hopefully I might be able to make it across the Pennines. Um, there's there's rumour that I may be going over to either Joy of Six or this uh, another event that I was thinking about going to. But I'll certainly try and make the. I'll I'll, I'll check what what my status of jabs is. Oh right, questions. yeah. Um, I had, I had to have avocado jabs before I went south. So. <laughs> And I'll, uh, I've, my cousin, I think I've talk, spoken about this before, but my cousin lives in York and she can give me a few Yorkshire phrases just so I can fit in. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, great. So uh, it sounds like you're really busy then on the painting and production front. What about the playing front? The actual playing with your toy soldiers. Yeah, fairly limited at the moment, unfortunately. I've um, uh, had a run of being really busy at work. And as as you know, doing a doing a podcast, you kind of have a limited amount of um, available time for hobbying when you when you have a full time job. So uh, uh, the 
the the the gaming side unfortunately is the side that um has dropped off a little bit for me recently um there's always a big there's always a bit of a lull at this time of year for me because i've done the analog hobbies winter paint challenge which is like a big not forced but a big um concentrated period of painting so i always dip you know in my painting enthusiasm after that um and then recently it's just i've not been able to get down to the club and um um just not had time to do much gaming so really at the moment i've i've had a few games um i played quite a bit of o group um relatively small games of o group um alex came over with um andy dice dad andy came over one day and we had a game um so yeah my gaming is um, a little bit on hold at the moment um but with me I can see retirement in the very close future. I can smell and, it. Uh, I can smell it. Um, you can't touch it yet. You can smell it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to be a lot more uh, reignited with that when I get a little bit more time. As you, as you know, doing the podcasts do take up quite a bit of time, you know, organising, arranging, recording, um, editing. Uh, you know, the last one I did with George Nafsiger, um yeah. took ages to edit because the um, – the connection was so poor that we, you know, we we'd do a question three or four times, um, and you know, I'd have to pick the the one that distorted the least. Um, but uh, I wanted to get that one out um, with it being who he was. Um, but it took a long time to get through that, and that obviously chews into your gaming time and your painting time and your your modelling time or whatever else you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. Um it's one of the ironies, isn't it, of, of the hobby that we can spend a lot of time painting and planning games, but actually play fairly few of them. Yeah, I mean, going back, going back to that, you know, the um, uh, Venn diagram of wargaming um, that I do on my show. I've always been that way. You know, I've gone, um, there are, you know, I've gone a couple of years sometimes without doing a game, um, but I've always painted and built. Um, models and armies for games but not, just not necessarily had the opportunity to do one and maybe sometimes you know I'd get together with old friends and we'd do a big game maybe two three times a year and I might not go to the club that year it's, it, it all depends on you know normal life but I would rather concentrate my gaming time into a big game every quarter rather than two or three hour game at the club every week yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I was, I was about to say that, uh, again, it's a broad church, the hobby. I keep coming back to this, that um, we we joke, don't we, uh, from our different perspectives about what, uh, wh- what the hobby is, but I, I know uh, for certain that we are singing from the same hymn sheet. Um, uh, and I, I guess it's it's... It's part of creating the brand of, of Yorkshire Gaming and God's Own Scale that we were at opposite ends of the scale spectrum, I suppose, and the game spectrum. But we are f- we are far more in common <laughs> than than uh, we differ. But um, uh, there are people uh, that I have at my club that will play those two or three hour games every single week, but won't lift a paintbrush. Um, and a lot of people are quite happy just actually to turn up at the club with nothing in their hands and no, but they'll join in 
<laughs> and they'll take conv- and that's good because you need players you want people who can play the games with you don't you so um and you don't want people people to feel obliged to create a game or produce a game uh they might not have the means they might not have the time they might not have the resources or skills to do that so there's there's plenty of room for that uh i think i'd probably sit somewhere in the middle um where i I do really enjoy gaming um but don't do enough of it Uh, i think most war gamers do far more painting planning production than they do actually playing i think that's probably right just about or probably true um but yeah i wish i certainly paint so i can play i I don't paint just for the joy of it which i suspect you get a lot more joy out of it out of the process than i do yeah um you know and i took i did the i did the show with henry about mental health um and um the painting building um modeling side of it for me is an escape from what goes on and what i see at work um and sometimes the objective of the painting and the modeling for me is not necessarily the end product in the game it's getting away from real life and and enjoying myself and just being in my own little zone while i'm doing those you know you're putting together one of those ships and they they, they, you know fiddly little bastard bits and these bits of bloody photo hanging off into the dog's hair and the, the dog runs into the garden with a four inch gun stuck to his bum uh, <laughs> it's it's you know I, but I, I i enjoy i enjoy that side of it as well i don't i don't necessarily need although i do always work to an end goal um the you know the process of painting and modeling in itself is a is a joy and i think um you know, we've said many times um, on Bruise in the Binyard, although we do have a good laugh about absolutely everything, is that people um, take from the hobby what they want. Nobody's right or wrong. And um, people kind of, and I think they got the wrong idea with yourself as well, that you were just all about six mil. And they get, they get the wrong idea about me that I'm just all about big game and 28 mil. Um, no. But people like to put labels on stuff, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. And and because we've put ourselves out there, I think, you know, we're target for that. And that's yeah, that's part of the territory, I guess. Um, but, yeah, that I, I'm not saying that I don't enjoy the painting. I've, in fact, all morning I've sat gluing figures to bases, ready to spray them. I spray them in the back garden and then nearly choked myself <laughs> I thought I was doing the right thing going outside to do it but any, a bit of blowback as they say uh, off the spray but uh, yeah so I, I do enjoy it but um, the, it is definitely with an aim of the game at the end of the process um, I aren't well I have I have um, had projects where there's been an end big game in sight where uh, I've built, I've bought figures for, and then painted for a, a particular battle. Um, but it sounds like that's far more um, an incentive for yourself to, as you say, you you build your collections around a specific order of battle with the intention of playing that battle at the end of it. Um, whereas uh, I'm probably slightly off from that, where um, I'll buy the figures and then look at what I've got and see what I can do with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
just slightly different way of looking at it. It helps me to have a li you know a list and a, a project and a units to to build. And um, I was laughing when I was interviewing George Nafziger this week. Uh, I opened one of the books just to have a look. Um, at, you know, because his orders of battle are just absolutely amazing and so detailed. And and there were the pencil lines under the units that I'd painted. Um, must have been well it was 1988 the book came out so i would have been 20 then so um it's 30 years plus ago that i did those pencil lines yeah <laughs> on, on a, a slightly tangential note yeah. again i don't know if that's a real word but uh, <laughs> it is, it is. going off its tangent um i found an old set of WRG 1925 to 1950. They, they were oh, oh, yes. Now, I, this, this book's been on my shelf for a long time, and I'd clearly forgotten where I'd sourced it from, but I'd sourced it when a friend of mine died, very sadly, um, and his, uh, his, uh, me and a, a friend helped his wife to sell off his war games collection, um, and she, she let us take whatever we wanted out of it. But uh, on the back cover, or the, sorry, inside the back cover of, of this rule book was a list of uh, an order to Oaks and Ross oh, uh, wow. uh, in, in pence of uh, 10 T-34s or whatever it was. Wow. It just made me very nostalgic. You say about underlining something there in a book from 30 odd years ago. Uh, I, love, I love seeing that. I love seeing that a, a, a set of rules uh, has been used, loved, looked at, read, planned. People have written in it or underlined certain passages within a, in, a, in the rule book to highlight something or, or written something in the margin to say plus one instead of plus two in the rules or whatever. I, I love that. I love that. Um, okay, so... Um, you're busy, uh, not getting a lot of gaming in, but uh, you've just been down to the epic that is Salute 50. There, London. That there, London. That there, yeah. London. I was quite surprised. You went, did you have? Did you take bodyguards with you? or? Uh... Yeah, I had bodyguards. I had avocado shots just in case. I, I accidentally shook hands with somebody who'd eaten avocado in the last couple of days. And, you know... It, it, you know, I would have started shaking, mouth foaming. Um, I had an emergency EpiPen full of mushy peas just in case I needed it. Um, Did you at any point try and strike up a conversation with anybody in the Tube in that northern way that we do? No, not the Tube, because uh, I was with a couple of friends. Well, I was with a friend um, who travelled down with me, so we were talking with each other while everyone else has just been stony-faced and... Um, and southern staring at the floor <laughs> yeah don't make eye contact the northerners yeah uh how was it i i have to say i was very i was very impressed i really enjoyed it um i haven't been to salute since it was in olympia um, oh, I, I haven't been to this venue so it must be it must be 20 years maybe you know 15 20 years since i last went and um I had a really, really good time. I really enjoyed it. It was, um, I met loads of people that, you know, through the podcasts, as you know, you, you talk to a lot of people who you might not necessarily meet normally, or you might walk around a show and not recognize them or, you know, not have something to talk about. But because you've talked to them on the podcast, it's like seeing an old friend. Um, so I bumped into a lot of people who've been on the show 
um, who live down south, um, people from um, the internet, um, Twitter and what have you, um, and people like Greg, uh, Jed Cronin from Gringo 40s. I'd spoken to him a couple of times but never met him. Um, so um, it, was a, it was a social thing for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was busy but not crazy busy which is how I remember it from Olympia. Um, and uh, there were some really nice games there, but not a massive amount. Um, it was just overall a really, really nice day out. And um, speaking to people who were, you know, regular at the show, um, they said it had really picked up from the show they'd had 18 months ago. And um, all the traders seemed to be really happy. I had a quick word with Pete Berry before I left, and um, he was smiling and, you know, had piles of money next to him, and you know, it's um, it, it's it was nice to get to to a big show like Salute again, and and to meet people, and you know, there was a couple of people I saw on the internet complaining about the lighting and the atmosphere, and it, you know, it did it did drain of oxygen, um, after after a while, um, but it's you know, I having been involved in fiasco for, for years it's so hard to find a perfect venue um and you know at leads at the fiasco, fiasco we suffer with the light in there but where else where else could we put on a show in leeds that's next to a um a nationally um a, a, a approved uh armories museum that's got loads of history you have to take it off with a smooth sometimes and you know, it's for me. It's better than being in some faceless um, leisure centre or, or what have you. And and um, you know, where else in London could you run a show of that size? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. The reports that have come out, uh, and there's been various YouTube videos and podcasts talking about it. That I think there's over six thousand people through the door. Which um, I think I don't know if it was a record, but it's, it must be close to a record, and that. Numbers are certainly up to where they were pre-pandemic, which is great. Um, I think there were fears that would salute survive the pandemic, particularly after the uh, event that they put on around about 18 months ago in the, was it in the November time, uh, which was not that well received, um, despite all the efforts of South London warlords. But um, you're right, I think, I think it is... Salute is a different beast to a show like Partisan, I think. Um, Salute is the flagship event of the hobby. I think that's fair to say because of its size and its location. Um, The fact that it attracts so many people. Um, I don't know how many Europeans travelled there, but I I know when I've been pre-pandemic, there was always uh, a good contingent of people coming over from the continent and elsewhere. and there would always be the these spectacular large games because you've got the space to have a table as large as you want it, effectively. Um, and you've already mentioned... I was I I looked a few of the gaps in between the tables and thought, ah, uh, yeah. slide one in there. There's all there's all there for a, a yeah. battle of Narvik. <laughs> you could have it. Um, could you possibly have uh, a table at either end of the hall and then the firing across the top? <laughs> That'd be yeah. Funny. If we do the bit, if we do the bit with war spite, um, yeah. then that could be at the other end of the hall. 
really on, on its own table. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that'd be, that'd be something unique, wouldn't it? Um, mm. uh, You've mentioned Simon Miller's game, which uh, Simon, I, I don't quite know how he does it particularly, uh, but he puts on some ginormous games, doesn't he? Uh, at shows up and down the country. Um, and the, I'm told the pipe blocks weren't socially distanced. No, there was a, a nice tightly packed feel to them. They were very good. More than 96. Oh, there was about, about the panel of the table was about, did he say six meters long or something like that? It was huge. Good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he'd, um, they could have been a bit deeper. You know, uh, I'm not, oh, okay. you know, well, I've got I'm, for improvement. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't want to, you know, make him feel too good. Could have no, been a bit deeper. Could have been yeah, a bit yeah. deeper, mate. Give him I'll something like, to work on. Yeah, yeah, I'll have a word. I'll have a He'll word. get there. He's doing all right, but, you know. He's doing all right, yeah. He'll get there. Um, and it was kind of wall-to-wall um, pipe blocks as well, and it just, it did look amazing. It did look amazing. Sim- simply, you know, there was there was lots of good games, but that one, for the size and sheer number of figures, stood out massively. I mean, there was a, one of the games in the um, in the Lardy Zone um, that Joe the Wargamer had done from Twitter, and uh, and Alex was uh, Alex Sutheran was running. That was probably on a well, it was on a big it was on a big table, and the terrain was absolutely unbelievable. But there wasn't many figures on it, so it was it was a different thing. Um, and you know that one looked amazing as uh, as well. But I would be because I love that big figure count. So that's what I love. Um, I was drawn towards that Ipsos game that Simon Miller did. It was. Uh, you, you've mentioned Jed from Gringo's Forty as well. There, um, the Embassy Siege, the Saigon Embassy. I mean, that looked incredible. But I'm told. I'm, I'm told. I, I, I wasn't there, but I'm told that. Um, the scenery looked fantastic, but when people walked past it, there was quite often the roof had been lifted off and they were moving figures inside the building. So you lost the sort of spectacle of what it was just for the practicality of playing the game. Yeah. Um, but I don't think there was any, any other way that you could have run it. Um, oh, no. no it's it's, that, it's but, no criticism. Um, Absolutely love it. You know, I, I, I saw it three or four times when it was... It's complete direction. And um, yeah, it was super, really, really good. And um, because because of its height, it stood out. Because one of the one of the thing, a couple of people have mentioned this, and I noticed it as well. In it was that a lot of the games were flat, right? You know, there wasn't a lot of hills involved um, on quite a lot of the games. And, and you know, if you're doing an historic like Ipsus Simon Miller's game, you you're not. You know, you're not running a, a phalanx of a couple of thousand men carrying 16, 18-foot pikes over hills because it, it doesn't work. And so, that you know, that's historically correct. But a lot of, whether a lot of people have chosen to do flat battlefields or not, I don't know. But, um, yeah. Um, having, height, having height to a game is put, certainly puts a different dimension on it. So I think a few years ago, I think it was James Morris that did something like Italians in Abyssinia. Oh, and it was up. It was vert- manily vertical. Yes, on a hillside. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. That was a really, 
inevitable game, yeah. Innovative game. Really, really good. Oh, we're getting all the big words out today. We are. I've got them written down here. We've nearly got a bingo. <laughs> uh, and I think Simon, it was Simon Miller at Partizan last year that did the round way down where they were going up a hill and they got all yeah. the really useful boxes stacked under his cloth. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, uh, and as, a, as an engineer, I was... Um, I was shaking a little bit. You were a bit worried, weren't you? It didn't look particularly safe, to be fair. I don't. Al, I don't think Alf and Safety had uh, been around, and uh, no, uh, went off, had they? No. It was um, covered, once it was covered in cloth. It looked okay, but it was um, <laughs> yeah. The engineer in you was uh, trembling. I'm sure when uh, yeah, he I was naked I, without the cloth. I wouldn't have liked uh, a minor earth tremor of 0.01 on the Richter scale to have uh, occurred while that show was on. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, absolutely no criticism of that Green Ghost game, but I, I've seen comment that um, it perhaps didn't draw the same attention either from the uh, people who give out the awards or, or the crowd because of the fact that they were playing the game, which is great, because mm. I'm not a big fan of static games that shows yeah, or static yeah. displays. So the, the the various levels of the embassy have been lifted off, but uh, I love that range from Gringos and Empress, actually, the Vietnam uh, figures. I think they're just absolutely incredible. And uh, if if I could have got to Salute, I think that would have been a game that I would have spent a lot of time uh, looking at. But um, there was a couple of other, I think there was a large hoplite game uh, that went on. I'm not quite sure who, who ran that. There was a uh, some sort of renaissance game with lots of cavalry on it, but it was... It was really zoomed in, so it was almost like one or two uh, units. Yeah, that would have. I think that would have been one of the ones from the Friends of General Haig. He did like a um, 1630s Polish, because um, they were winged hussars were in it, um, uh, game, and that was really good. Um, it was on teddy bear fur, so my um, capacity as the president of the ethically sourced teddy bear fur society i i had to make sure that it was all correctly labeled good um and uh, yeah i had a lovely chat with uh, i hadn't met him before uh, although i've you know known him online for a long time yeah um and uh, they he his group of people um had that and the fluja game as well um which was a 15 mil, I think, modern. It looked really, really good. Uh, very impressive indeed. And then uh, there's the counterpoint, isn't there? And I, this is no criticism. I, I'm not levelling criticism here, but I have heard comment that some of the games were rather what you like what you might see down a club on a Friday night. Um, and it was really an opportunity for some mates to get together and, and play a game on perhaps a slightly bigger table than they would ordinarily have access to but it, it, the terrain the the figures that you know the setup was was not much different to what you'd see on a friday night yeah it's kind of that it's kind of that universal question really isn't it about what is the reason for a game at, the, at a show uh, and as i've said you know as i've said before I, I i can see i can see dave and pete on a wednesday night playing dbm or whatever uh, for free down the club so if i've paid well i can't i can't say i've paid because i got a press pass so i didn't pay to get in um but if i had if i had paid to get in um i kind of want to see the best uh best of the best um you still pay for your travel though ken i, I guess and that that's not yeah. particularly cheap 
even I couldn't I, I, even I couldn't blag a free train ticket. I mean, fifty one quid, fifty one quid return, which I thought was quite good. Yeah, that's that's not bad actually. So, um, and then it was fifty one quid for a can of coke and a sandwich at lunchtime. Um, I think for a show for a show like Salute, um, sometimes there were, I mean there was some really nice, really small games, but they were kind of lost in the in the ether, if you like, of um, this massive, massive hall and this really brilliant. Uh, and I'm not denying that they really are brilliant, small, you know, two foot square table. Uh, and it just seemed a little bit lost in that, you know. And even even Simon's game, the size that was, it, it's still a small postage stamp in a massive hall. If you you know, if that had been in like the old traditional leisure centre um, setups, and they'd put that in a squash court, I think you know it would have appeared bigger because it would have completely filled the room. Um, but yeah, there, there's. Um, I wasn't blown away by the uh, the quality of the games, but uh, you know it, it was a great effort from everyone who put something on, and I would imagine that you know that was their pinnacle, if you like, of of, of the year. Yeah, I, I think this is where I come back to the fact that Salute is a different beast to Partizan. I think Partizan have the reputation of having the pinnacle of the hobby in the display and. Not sorry, demonstration and participation games that they put on. Um, and if you walk into Partizan, you expect almost to be blown a book way by every table that you look at, uh, because that's the that's the reputation it's got. But Salute is that different beast in that it's such a vast thing. You've got so many traders there that some of which you would never see at ordinary shows uh, or typical shows. Um, some some really big games, and also there's the social aspect which I think has hit home with me far more post-COVID. Um, I don't know if I appreciated quite as much pre-COVID as I do now post-COVID. Mm. What a great opportunity it is to just, for the likes of ourselves, to even if we want to have five minutes chat at a show or with Alex or with uh, people who I've had on the show previously, uh, uh, like Nigel or or, or Andy or pe- people have only spoken to for the purpose of recording an episode, and then you get to meet them face to face and uh, and and just share a coffee and and ten minutes of what you've bought and uh, what you think of the show. So uh, uh, as well as catching all the traders that you haven't seen, and and then other people that you will see at all the shows and you recognise each other and say hello to. So I think for me that social aspect is form. Is becoming far more important. I think Salute's possibly a difficult one because it is so big. I know they had, I know Big Lee um, had a uh, vloggers meet up. Yeah, I, I went, I went along to that as well. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at uh, Big Lee there. And they had the talks, didn't they, as well? Which is a new thing um, with the the hobby heroes and the the girls in wargaming. Which I like. I like. I love the idea of absolutely. It was a bit of a strange one. It was a bit of a strange one. The talks, though, in that they were they were kind of like in a in a like a shutter deck. They, they put some um, like boards up around some tables, and um, there wasn't a massive amount of space in there. I, I know it's the first time they've done it, so they will have had no idea how many people were going to turn up for it. Um, but there was a limited space to get in there. Um, it wasn't particularly. I didn't think it was particularly well advertised within 
the show itself. You know, there was nobody chatting up on a tannai. Um, the talk on whatever is going to begin in 10 minutes at whatever area. Uh, and I, th- I don't think we could, to be honest, because I think, um, I don't know which talk it was, but I went past one and it was absolutely rammed and you couldn't get in anywhere near. And it was so it kind of all the tables were full and there was people standing at the back. Um, so I think it's a great idea. Um, we, I think, I'm sure we did it once before at the Royal Armouries because there's some lecture theatres in the Royal Armouries. I'm sure we did it then um, and had some people doing some talks on weapons. But that's a long time ago. I, I like it as an idea. I know um, a couple of shows do panels, don't they? Um, Joy of Six has a, Joy of Six has a panel. And I think there's another show as well that has a, a panel. Um, so I like the idea of it. Um, and we'll see where, where Salute go with it. Um, maybe try and fit it against one of the walls or make it bigger or have it in a separate room or I don't know um, how they're going to go. But it, it was a, I think it was a, a taste and see for them anyway. Um, but it seems yeah. to be well. Yeah, it, it, it was something new, wasn't it? So um, I'm sure they'll take away uh, the comments and criticism from that and, and look to develop that in, into something else and I take my hat off to them for trying something different and uh, and and giving some people a voice who perhaps didn't have a voice previously and uh, opportunities to meet some of the, these larger YouTubers uh, that are out there that you know the larger YouTube channels and and talk about the hobby. I'm not sure how much of that was historical based. I think they were a lot based around the fantasy side of the hobby. I have to say that a lot of the names that were announced as as hobby heroes, I went, who? <laughs> it's because you're not done with the kids, Ken. Yeah, I know. Uh, but if you put Yorkshire Gamer in a 40k magazine, they'd all be going, who's that old bastard? Um, so, you know, I know, I know where they're coming from uh, as, as well. And um, it, it depends on your audience, doesn't it? You know, I, I think if you did something at Salute, then... Um, you know, having Henry or, you know, some some of the older, sorry, Henry, members of the uh, wargaming community on uh, would draw a bigger crowd than it would do if you'd ha- if you've got Spiky Norman and his uh, Lasgun painting special. I'm not familiar with that one, Ken. I'll look it up afterwards. <laughs> oh, but I tell you what, I tell you what, the the ones who do the Painting Portaloo. <laughs> were they there? They were there. <laughs> Did you get to I, try it out? I put my hand over the Yorkshire Gamer and walked past He checked it. I've got up to him and brazen as anything. Else. Come on then, sell me on this concept of the Portaloo. Painting Portaloo all in boxes and then they got like loads of wet pallets for like 20 quid next to wow. it. Wow. And it was like. <laughs> Couldn't decide which one to buy, could you? I talk about War Games Room 101 on my podcast. That was War Games hell for me. It was there was wet palettes, there was painting portaloos, there was contrast paints. Oh my god, I nearly exploded. Listen, contrast paints are just they're taking off. Everybody's doing them now. Army Painter have got a big range. Vallejo have got them. Speed. When are people going to realise that it's just watered down paint? They don't want to hear that, Ken. They want to hear that it's magic and a little bottle. 
And it, yeah, and it works, and it makes you, you figures magically. Yeah. yeah. If you buy, if you buy a paint and a thinner, and put the thinner in the paint, you get contrast paint. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, first trip down there for some time. First the XL overall positive experience then. Yeah, really enjoyed. Um, and um, I think I'll probably go again next year. So, Partizan's coming up in a couple of weeks. Are you there? It's touch and go for me at the moment, unfortunately. Um, I I've, I am down to work and I'm trying to get out of it, um, but I am struggling at the moment. I really would like to go. Um, uh, quite a few people, including yourself, obviously, I'd like to meet up with, but um, at the moment it's looking fairly shaky whether I can make it or not. And are you at the next CrackCon? Um, again, that's a little bit of a tricky one because that's um, the, my wife's birthday weekend. I've I've mentioned a couple of times that you know interesting to see things to see in and around Derby, um, and she said, "Ken, it's a shit tip." So um, apologies to all listeners in Derby. She comes from Wales. She can't say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd I'd like to get along to uh, CrackCon, even if it's just to have a a wander around, because I think what the guys there over at the Plastic Crack Podcast are doing is uh, is rather good in that they're getting. Um, people uh, across the community together to put these games on and uh, showcase various aspects of the hobby, uh, showing off new rule sets or or producers of games. So uh, hats off to them, guys. Um, Okay, I think we're we're close to done. Um, So let's plug your podcast, Yorkshire Gamer Podcasts. Uh, What can we expect in the next episode and coming up and plans and things uh much of the same really i've uh i've kind of i've got the main show that i do with the four uh features um so we have a, a first part where we talk about the person involved in, in the show the guest and then we have a second part where we talk about big games and we all always get a perspective of that person because you know as we said earlier on some people's big games are different to others. You could you could do a big game on a 20 centimetre square if it was a map of the world and you were moving pins. That would be big in terms of its scope or coverage. Um, so, you know, and I'm quite open to different uh, opinions. You know, my I, I, everyone knows my view that 28 mil, massive table, thousands of figures, that's what I think a big game is. But other people come on the show and we talk about what they they think, uh, and then we have our little feature section where we have the quiz and the world room one hundred and one and the desert island war game, and then at the end we'll talk about a big topic. So I try and get you know manufacturers on. Um, so my next guest is uh, Paul Thompson from from Early War Miniatures, um, and I try and have companies on who you know maybe aren't the massive ones that you would get if you wanted to have a podcast guest who would get you more um, people listening. Yeah. Um, So I go for people who I, who I like, and I've spoken to Paul before and he's a really lovely guy. So I want to talk to him and see what makes him ticks. Then I like to have authors and rule writers on and talk to them. Painters. um, I've had a few people who've written scenario books on, um, and then I've tried, uh, an episode with an historian, uh, Nick Schofield, talked about the Papal States armies and the Zouave. So um, that went round down really well. Um, in terms, of, numbers were down, but, but that's 
expected it's a different thing but the the feedback was really positive and everyone who did take time to comment on it was you know well i, I like that as a different format and it i always look to extend the longevity longevity of the podcast by having different arrows to fire um and not have the same format every single show um so yeah i've um as we were saying before we started i've now got two one every three weeks and i've got two slots left now before christmas um and i still have got even with those people coming off my list i've still got um over 50 people who uh are on that list to come on uh, and it just it just keeps getting bigger. And my my problem is, I'll think of it. Oh, it would be great if I could have such and such on. And then I go, oh, I've got space <laughs> yeah, until yeah, November yeah, yeah. twelfth. And you just hit seventy five thousand downloads, I think. Seventy five thousand, and and only seventy only seventy four thousand to be mum. Thousand to one. Yeah, yeah. This is the ones uh, no, it's it's amazing, and uh, it, it amazes me how uh, many people uh, do listen to it. And I think you said this once on God's Own Scale, that you can see when people pick it up, because you can see them go back and listen to the old ones, and those those go up in, uh, uh, as well. Uh, so that's a fantastic thing. And I really, I still really enjoy doing them. Um, I, I nearly burnt out in December. I did two, I did five in a month, and that was way too many. Um, I, and you just kind of, have to learn to do it for yourself and, and appreciate um, and enjoy what you're doing and never get to the stage where it becomes a chore because you don't make any money from it. I don't, um, even though somebody on the internet insisted that I did. Um, but we had, to, we had to put them right. Um, uh, so you do it because you enjoy doing it um, and uh, they're still very much in that zone. Um, but you're back, mate. So... What are your plans? Tell us your plans. So I did have a Patreon, which I've now stopped because I found, I think I found the pressure of the Patreon too much, to be honest, because the, and I know Henry spoke about this previously, that uh, I, I shouldn't have allowed this to happen, but it did begin to become onerous on me to think I've got to get content out. Um, I've got to try and provide a little bit more as well for people who do uh, pay. Uh, and I think it also perhaps brought back me into a corner that I did try to get out of initially around the six mil focus and try and broaden the scope. And that was broadly supported. Um, but what God's own scale will be going forward. I'm not, I'm still not entirely sure. Um, I, I suspect it's going to be far more broad spectrum than it was previously. Uh, there'll still be six mil content there. Um, and there's still people, uh, people in the six mil world that I want to speak to. And there'll be people who do things in six mil that I will want to speak to, but, um, mm. it's, it's a suck. It's, an, it's been a rough 12, well, nine months really. Um, which, um I'm, I'm out of and, and it's probably given me a different perspective on one or two things in 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 life in general never mind in in the hobby um but i, I did miss it i did miss having chats uh and and that's why i enjoyed doing brews in the binyard with you and alex because 
Uh, I, in fairness, that doesn't, sound, that doesn't feel like you're doing a podcast. It's just three mates having a laugh. And the fact anybody ever listens to those episodes uh, amazes me. Uh, because I think the actual hobby content is fairly limited. <laughs> uh, what, what's been interesting is because I did keep the podcast live over the time that I haven't been recording, is that I've still had a continual, um, continuous um, people downloading episodes. Um, so people have still been listening to the episodes that are up there, including episode zero, which was just me sat in a churchyard with the birds tweeting around me, uh, to, uh, you know, episodes with the, the various guests. But um, you, you certainly hit a, a note there with me about speaking to manufacturers or people in the hobby that don't ordinarily get a voice um, or haven't been heard on the air before. Uh, there are, we know who the wargaming glitterati are you know we're, we're we're very aware of the people that we hear lots and lots um on other podcasts and and other media and that's great because you know they're, they're they're there because they have got something interesting to say but there's a lot of people out there without a platform who have interesting things to say as well um so I've, I've got plans. Uh, I've shown you the schedule. Uh, it's very technical, a uh, bit of paperwork that I've uh, worked out. Um, so uh, I'd like to t try and think that I'll, I'll do a four, 14th and 28th of the month release. I suspect that's too much, to be honest. Um, but mm. I've, I've got a half dozen people lined up um, uh, to speak to. So uh, let's see where it goes. So I, tradi <laughs> I traditionally close the show by asking two questions. Um, I don't know if it's demanding that you answer these or hoping that you'll answer them. But anyway, the first question is very easy that you agree to come back on the show at some point in the future. Of course I will, mate, anytime. Thank you. Um, uh, and secondly is to deposit onto the shelves of God's Own Scale Library, virtual library, uh, one or two books of choice that may be of interest to listeners. Oh, so hopefully you've prepared something. I haven't, but, you know, there we go. Because uh, the the um, person running the podcast didn't ask me. But don't worry, because I've, I've listened before, I know what's going on. Thank um, God. Yeah. Save me there, mate. Thanks. Uh, so this is a book I've got. First one, I've got to do two. First one is uh, both from my uh, very early years of wargaming, but they're both books that I still flick through and look at every now and again. And uh, the first one is a book called The Uniforms of Waterloo by Philip J. Haythornwaite. And it's one of the Blanford Press series. And... Um, I have told the story before. I can't remember where it was. I think probably maybe on Henry's podcast. Um, but um, when I was 12 or 13, I found this book in the library at our school um, that, I, that I went to. So probably second year, just getting into wargaming. Um, so I, I took it out. And then you, you had to renew. You, every three weeks, you had to renew it. So I renewed that book from the second year to the end of the fifth year every three weeks while i was at school and um nobody else wanted it <laughs> well nobody else had the chance because i won't no. handing it back um so um for those who don't know it's uh it's a book of the uniforms of waterloo and it has 50 or 60 color plates and then there's a 
paper section that has detailed descriptions of the uniforms and then it has a, it had a brief history of what that unit did in that particular uh, battle with a, a list of its casualties and stuff like that and then in the very back was an order of battle for waterloo and that order of battle in the back of that book was the first army list that i started to build my british 15 mil napoleonics from which was my first ever army um and um the fun thing with that book is that i've still got it it's behind me and um at the last day of my fifth year at high school i went into the library and i said to the librarian i said it's my last day today is there any chance i can buy this book and he just said riley just put it in your bag and f <laughs> Oh mate, yeah, love it. Uh, I've, I've got that book, and uh, it's uh, it's I've got the um, the one on eighteen twelve as well, and they're both very much yeah. treasured. Fantastic, and that one has those pencil lines underneath. Yeah. me building my fifteen mil. So that 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 means a lot to me personally. That book, it's uh, one that I remember. Uh, and then the other book um, is um, is uh, I'm going to have to. Where is it? Where is it? The Funken book, um, the F Funken Arms oh, and Uniforms, uh, the, uh, the, of the Napoleonic Wars, parts one and two, um, and it was the first big book that covered stuff outside British and French, and I, I remember coveting. I think is the word, that book for years and years. And I could never afford the English version because they were, they were about 200, 250 quid for the pair. So I, I had to buy a French copy, yeah, which I ended up, which is about 40 quid or something like that. I paid for both volumes. And my French is absolutely dreadful. My English is dreadful. My French is, um, I got 13% in my French Mocco level. Um, and 6% in my German Mocco level, uh, at which point I was advised that science was the way to go forward. <laughs> and they were right. I don't know. As a linguist, you make a great scientist. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So um, that book, so many beautiful colour pictures in that that led to so many units. Um, and eventually, when with the advent of the internet, etc., I've managed to pick up English copies now for... 40 odd quid a piece but they they were really rare and really hard to get hold of um and and that just just reminds me of so many of those huge 15 mil napoleonic games that i used to play as a teenager and in my early 20s because that book uh we used to have it used to have these little paper pamphlets made by a guy called rawkins the rawkins pamph uniform pamphlets and they're so dense and academic and reference book like that you it was one of those where if you read half a paragraph you wouldn't danger of going to accident and emergency um and you would have you know permanent narcolepsy um so and you, if you read a whole page that was it you were gone so um it was like a, a nice mix between those two for painting all my figures so that was, those are those are the two books that i'd like to put in um purely on the nostalgic reasons the funken books are i think any war gamer of any uh longevity will know how important they were um and again t when you talk about pre-internet days getting the information about you might get the the picture of a french 
fusilier from the front, but you've no idea what the backpack looked like or the canteen or whether the turnbacks were white or red. And so they, they were huge, weren't they? And I spoke about my friend Martin who, who passed away, gosh, 10 years ago now. I think he had those books, but uh, they they didn't land with me, unfortunately. They <laughs> they went on to uh, make some money for his wife, I think. But uh, it's, yeah. it, it, it's so easy to forget how difficult it was back in those days to get that information and a book like that was just beyond belief um and when i was talking to to george when he was talking about doing his his orders of battle um he used to get stuff from the uh american library on microfiche and sit there uh, and type everything in on dos word dos onto a onto a big computer that he could then store and print out for people on demand there was no you know in looking stuff about on the internet he literally typed all those german orders of battles and british orders of battle out of a microfiche onto a computer in real time and then produced them out for everyone else whereas whereas now you just press a button yeah and it's, it's there there's, isn't it yeah which yeah, is a great so an amazing uh, thing i'm not i'm not knocking it at all um it just it just reminds you of how uh, much work you used to have to do to get stuff yeah those two books will uh, sit have pride of place on the on the shelves of uh, god's own scale virtual library so thanks for that ken ken it's been great uh, to speak to you and and see your face again <laughs> um and uh, no doubt we'll be catching up either online on a podcast or as a show in the very near future so thanks for your time and i wish you all the best for the future no worries mate thanks very much I hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I did. Hopefully Ken will be hosting another Bruise in the Binyard soon with myself and Alex Sutheran as the co-hosts with the most. Doesn't quite work. I'm hoping to get to Partisan, but we'll have to see how my energy levels are. If I do and you see me, say hello. I've not much on the purchase list at the moment as I seem to be buried beneath Mexicans, Pirates, Romans and Americans of various types. But you never know, there's always something to get the wallet twitching. Okay, thanks for listening for this to this first show back. Remember, stay safe, play nice and keep talking about sex. With a smile on his lips and his lips and the pips upon his shoulder, bright and gay. As the train moved out, he said, remember me to all the birds. Then he wagged his paw and went away to war, shouting out these pathetic words. Goodbye, goodbye, wipe a tear, baby dear, from your eye. Though it's hard to pass, I know, I know. Because the death is all so bright, don't die, there's a death.
Lightning in the sky, on far-flung cereal, in 